Hello, everybody, and welcome all thanks to LD Mobile. It's an emergency NBL overtime. Emergency because one of the legends, one of the greats of the NBL, the Perth Wildcats, I speak of Damian Martin, has announced his retirement. He's going to join us in a moment or two, but this is a big one, Liam Santa Maria. He's a superstar on and off the basketball court. Absolute superstar. Six-time champ, six-time defensive player of the year. The trophy's named after him now, for goodness sake. That only took a couple of hours. And uh, an absolute icon of the game on and off the floor in this country. And we've known this has been coming for a number of months now, but it doesn't make it any easier because it's official. We're not going to see him on an NBL floor ever again. Homicide, you played against him. It seems like an age ago now. Remarkable that he's done so much since. He's done so much for the game. There's nothing that he has not done. As Liam said, six-time champion, six-time defensive player of the year. He represented the country. He was a boomer, an Olympian, um, a stellar career. You know, this is a career that any guard that wants to know how to get to the next level, stay at the next level, be consistent, and win, take take a page out of his book. Well, let's do it. Let's talk to the man himself. And of course, when it comes to highlights, as, as Homicide has pointed out, he's done everything. Damien Martin. An amazing journey, and uh, no matter who he plays for, he wins. I've seen Damien Martin over the years, and I think he creates a great culture in a club. And when he crosses that white line, his work ethic, uh, everything he does, he's one of the most influential players to, to in, in any team. Best defensive player in the history of the National Basketball League is Damian Martin. Beautiful rejection from behind by Damian Martin. Can't shake the six-time defensive player of the year, Damian Martin, does enough. Oh, Damian Martin with the ball. Oh, and That's huge from Damian Martin. Massive block. So now Conrad at the other end. He's hurt his finger. He's broken his finger. Anticipated it. He'll pull that back into shape and be back on in a minute. As soon as that buzzer went off at the end of the game, it's a uh, sheer jubilation and, uh, and a moment I'll never forget. Golding terrorised by Damien Martin and here's Bryce coming off the block. He's gone and you give the ball up. Because things like this happen. That lift the crowds, their favourite son fighting under the rack. That's what he does. to know somebody like him. I mean, it, it's amazing what goes into trying to win a championship, but through that collective common goal, it, everything else is way bigger than that. The friendships you develop, the brotherhood, the lifelong mateship, um, you know, the ups and downs within the course of the season itself. So to be able to 
put that fifth and final piece of the jigsaw puzzle in and look around and see everyone and my teammates, my friends, my coaches, the support staff, everything goes into trying to win one. Uh, yeah, it's a moment I'll never forget. To watch him grow over the years as a, as a person, uh, it's really, really uh, a great honour. This, this day and time right now is all about Damon. Uh, he's just a, a flat out wonderful guy, uh, one of the most loved on and off the courts and uh, you know, really, really proud of him. Well, boys, it's been a little quiet day when it comes to free agency, but it has been a big day when it comes to retirement. And one of the absolute legends will be an all-NBL Hall of Famer. And now I don't know 100% if it's true, but I, I think it has to be the fastest, I, I guess, recognition when it comes to an award being named after you because essentially he did a press conference and then an hour later the NBL said, we agree, we're naming the Defensive Player of the Year award after Damien Martin, six-time champion, six-time Defensive Player of the Year award, Olympian, Commonwealth Games gold medalist, All-NBL first team, second and third team thrown in there as well. What a career, mate. And it's always a privilege to talk to you, mate. As we welcome you in, congratulations. We have loved every single minute watching you play. Yeah, thanks, mate. It's been a, a long day, an overwhelming day. One, to be honest, I've actually put off twice. So twice the Wildcats media guy has locked in dates for me and twice I've called him and said, no, nah, I'm not, I haven't changed my mind. I just can't bring myself to say the words yet. So twice I've cancelled. Uh, but I've known for a long time what I had to do as the final hurdle was probably actually just getting up there and, and finally doing it. By, by a long time, do you mean while the season, of course, the way that it ended was different to a traditional ending, but you, you knew that last season was going to be your last because we all being investigators that we are, Bryce Cotton, we spoke to Bryce about this, when he beelined to you when the announcement was made, you'd won it. it did you know then? Yeah, so I, I tore the Achilles, I think it was round four against Southeast uh, for a game in Perth, but just how the schedule was, you know, we had to jump on a plane the next day, we headed over, we played the Hawks, and then had to jump on a plane, head up to play Brisbane the following Friday, but we stayed on the road the whole time. And then played Brisbane, jumped on a plane, flew to New Zealand and, and played New Zealand. So all along it was, you know, it was pretty sore, but we just didn't have time to get an MRI, um, obviously being out of town. So yeah. by the time we got back to Perth, uh, you know, finally got the MRI, met with a doctor and yeah, just kind of hearing the words come out of his mouth. Uh, it's not what you ever want to hear. You know that you have to retire one day, you hope to go out on your own accord. Uh, but, you know, it took me a while to get over that initial news. And then the first surgeon I met with literally said, this is your career-ending injury. Let's book you in for surgery next week. Uh, and that was, you know, going into about round seven of the, se the season. So I was very fortunate to have, you know, the club support the decision I made. Uh, and in the end, it was a no-brainer to try and play as long as I could. Thinking it was probably going to snap at some stage, but I was just very fortunate to get through the whole year. And, and then the, probably the most emotion I got was actually you know, when the Kings um, decided they weren't going to fly out here to, you know, for game four, you know, initially I was angry and then I was like, why am I so angry? And, and then I, it really hit me that I, I played the last game I ever would in a red jersey in the NBL. And, and I think that anger, which turned to, you know, so I got quite emotional, was purely based off not Sydney, not wanting to travel or not that the, the season was over, it was that my career was over. And so they're probably the two most emotional times I had. But yeah, I've known for a long time that, uh, it was going to be my last season. And the silver lining was it gave me a great appreciation of the things I probably took for granted and, and time in, I had left in the game. So the day-to-day -day pleasures of the mateship, the banter, you know, all the things that go on behind the scenes that build up to add to a team that's hopefully going to win a championship. 
Damo, congrats on an absolutely incredible career, mate. Absolute icon of the game. I, I, I tweeted today, one of the best careers this league's ever seen and a guy that you hold up to young players to say, be like, be like Damo, congrats. <laughs> but you call it a no-brainer. You've got a partially torn Achilles. You're early, about a third of the way through the season. So are you saying that every single time you stepped out on the floor the rest of last season into the finals and the grand final series, you knew there was a good chance you might snap your Achilles? Yeah, uh, when you put it that way, it sounds silly. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was like one of the questions I asked the doctor was, you know, if I was, you know, say Wani or Reese, you know, one of our younger guys, what would your advice be to them? And they said, well, they wouldn't have a choice. We'd, you know, stop them now. They'd get surgery tomorrow. They'd, you know, still have a long career. But at 35, you know, it's going to be a nine to 12 month type of recovery for that type of injury. Uh, and, it, you know, I'd be 36 by next year's tip off. So it's not like I still had 10 years left. So for me, just, I was, I'll never be able to express how grateful I was to the club, to, you know, Josh Kavanagh, Dave Field, our, our medical staff, for even allowing me to, to make that decision opposed to taking it out of my hands and saying, no, nah, we're not going to take that gamble, that risk. You know, because if I had completely ruptured and it came out that they let me play on it, you know, some people may have pointed the finger of blame at them, even though I'm a big boy and I made the decision. But yeah, no, touch wood, you know, the club, I literally wasn't training for like the last few weeks of the season. So for Trev to be able to watch me, you know, talk to the boys on the sideline, just be there at training without stepping foot all that often on, on court, uh, I never really told the guys the full extent of it, but some guys did know. So, yeah, that, that's a moment I'll never forget is when you know, I looked up after we'd been announced we won it and Bryce was already there in my face embracing me. And, <laughs> and seeing how much it meant to him to be able to, you know, you know send me out that way. Um, yeah, there's, there's those, those special moments of the mateship, the brotherhood, the camaraderie that stand out. And that moment was as good, if not better, than actually hearing uh, that we'd won it. And that's what I wanted to touch on. Um, an incredible career, like Liam and, Bo and Cam both said. What was some of your, your, your biggest highs? I mean, there's yeah. so many. There's so many to choose from. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, you're a winner. So yeah. there's so many. But what was some of the, like, the most special moments that, you know, you can sit back and just be like, damn. Yeah, no. It's, like, it's, I'll never forget that. Yeah, it is an easy one to answer. Probably holding Corey Homicide Williams to a donut at Perth. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I actually don't know if that's ever even true. I just have to throw it out there. Uh, no, look, it's, it's the Olympics. It is the Olympics. There's so much that went into it. Uh, there's a whole backstory, you know, what I went through when I got cut from London into the four years between the campaigns. Uh, yeah, it was incredible. But it, it lived up to everything I'd hoped for and more. And, and from hearing Andre say I'd made, made the team, that was the best moment of my life. And I told this story earlier that that was the best moment of my life. And then, uh, you know, being able to tell Brittany, my wife, I'd made it, that then became the new best moment of my life. And then seeing the reaction of mum and dad and, you know, the, the sacrifices they made all along the way to be able to share that moment with them and seeing how they responded, I reacted, I'll, I'll never forget that. That was the highlight. But then counter that into... A few weeks, you know, alongside some of the best players Australia's ever produced in Delavadova, Ingalls, Mills, Bogut. Um, you know, it's just so many stories, but the Olympics itself, uh, it really is the highlight. Just, just on that, because, you know, obviously any Olympian in, in whatever pursuit it actually is, is the highlight. But to be so close to a medal as well, like, mm. like literally 10 seconds away from a medal, where does that sit? Does it at all for a short time temper 
your excitement about being an Olympian and it's now you can reflect on a remarkable effort that it is. But where does that sit when it comes to like your low light and looking back on the emotions around it? So still to this day, when I think of the Olympics, I have that bitter taste of getting so close to that bronze medal, how the game was decided, the whole last minute of the game, to be honest, not just the last call. Uh, so that is kind of that initial sinking feeling in the stomach. And I don't know if that'll ever go away. But it is far outweighed now by the overall enjoyment, uh, how lucky I was to wear the green and gold on that stage. The guys I got to call my teammates for you know a few weeks, uh, it was just brilliant. But yeah, I'll, I will never actually move past or forget about the bronze medal game. Uh, and, and I was shattered when I, and I saw how close they went again uh, for a World Cup. So, you know, the, the thing I was looking forward to most for Tokyo was I was very confident we're going to medal deservingly. But, you know, for the guys that have poured their heart and soul into it, the most inspirational game I've been a part of, I actually didn't play any minutes of the game. And it was when we beat Serbia in the round robins, uh, mm. second game of the Olympics. You know, I, I, I go back and watch that game and, and all the guys that set foot on the court were amazing. You look at guys like Paddy and Deli fight over every single screen, lock and trail, uh, sprint the floor the other end. I've never been more inspired. And then, you know, to be able to get my opportunity in the quarterfinals, and, and this might have been a throwaway comment, and, and Delhi probably doesn't even remember it. Um, but we are playing, uh, I was guarding Lithuania's point guard. He's a pretty good player. And, you know, I was getting, trying to get up and in defensively. And then he ended up subbing himself out. And Delhi came over to me and said, you did that. Look at that. You did that. He pointed to him as he's going to the bench. Uh, and so for those words to come from him, I'll, I'll never forget that moment. And locking up KD. You also love that, KD. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Yeah, yeah, that too. That too. Um, <laughs> uh, funny, the, the first thing I think of when uh, people ask me about KD is actually getting back to the locker room. We were livid. We were so mad that we'd blown an opportunity. What we thought was an opportunity to beat them. And then my wife was, you know, 38 weeks pregnant at the time back here in Perth. And I've got all these missed phone calls from Brittany. So I've gone from anger and frustration at losing this game to then like oh no she's gone into labor mm. i've got all these missed calls so i called her and all she was doing was calling because she got caught up in the moment watching the game live and then when that happened she tweeted kevin durant saying haha my husband stole the ball off you look i don't think kd lost any sleep over it i don't think he remembers it uh, but yeah at least my wife is i thought i was the worst trash talker going around <laughs> i'm sure that one of kd's five burner accounts would have liked or replied at some point in, uh, in the aftermath <laughs> Damo, I can mention it before. It took the NBL three and a half hours, if that, to, uh, <laughs> to, to name the, the trophy after you, the best defensive player, the Damien Martin Trophy. Um, it was a no-brainer. Talk about no-brainer decisions. That yeah. one was as clear-cut as they come. What You haven't had long to kind of let it sink <laughs> in, but, but what, what does that mean to you? Yeah, it means, it means a lot. Like... It's funny the last few days, every time I sat down to try and reflect, because you rarely reflect on what you've done because you're so focused on what's next. But I've been trying to reflect. I've been trying to come up with words. But I never thought 99% of the stuff that's happened would happen. And, and to actually, when Jeremy called me today, NBL commissioner, he's called me. I picked up. I didn't hear who he said he was. So I'm just having a chat with someone I know who it was. I'm like, I recognize his voice. I recognize his voice. And then eventually I hear, so we're going to name the NBL's defensive um, player of the year award after I'm like, Oh, hey, Jeremy. Oh, that's awesome. Like, I, <laughs> because at one stage, he was like, if I can ever help in real estate, I'm like, is this a buyer that you've had? Or like, I'm trying to put together who it was. Um, wow, how yeah. quickly they forget. <laughs> yeah. I moved on. Uh, but uh, no, it's, uh, it's a massive honor. And, and it's funny because I always thought Daniel May was, was the best defender I played against. And I took a lot out of, you know, you had to beat him twice if you want to get a chance at scoring. And I love that idea that you can't beat him once, you've got to beat him twice. 
because uh, twice I got past him, twice to block my shot. He just stayed in the play. Um, but then uh, having Andrew Gay as the overall MVP, another thing that's happened that's kind of motivated me, which he'd be unaware of. So obviously that's named after him. But I remember hearing him saying once that, uh, you know, good offense always beats good defense. And I'm like, yeah, it probably does. Good offense does beat good defense. But I, I believe great defense beats great offense. You've got to go to another level again if you want to score against great defense. And so I've always wanted to prove him wrong. Um, so it's an absolute honor to have something named after me, uh, to be able to stand on stage now and, and have names like Darnell Me on that award, but to stand alongside the all-time great Ngezi uh, on NBL awards. And I, that, that's a moment I'll relish. Uh, can't believe it's happened. was completely in shock. Like I said, I didn't even know it was Jeremy I was speaking to. Uh, so, yeah, I don't think it's really sunk in, but, yeah, what, a, what an honour more than anything. Yeah, that, that, that's incredible that the inspiration you got from not only Darnell Me, but Andrew Gaze with that comment that he made. Like, that's, that's, that's a story I'll never forget, that's for sure. Um, you've been coached by two of the greatest coaches, two of some of the, you know, of the top, to two of some of the greatest coaches <laughs> to ever coach in this league, right? Yeah. You yeah. got Bevo that was instrumental in your growth. And you got Gleason, who was instrumental as well. Talk to me about the relationships you've had with both of those coaches. Massive. To you. Yeah, huge. And and they'll continue to be friendships I relish and cherish and we'll probably pick each other's brains still down the track for different things. So Bevo, I, I, I had, I'd quit basketball. I was playing rugby league. I was, there's no more team in Gloucester. I was sick of the travel. I was sick of missing parties on a weekend. And so mum and dad, who were driving me an hour and a half each way to Newcastle to play and train, uh, I told them, you know, thank you, but no more of it. And after I quit and went to rugby league, I got a call out of the blue one day and it was, from a guy who introduced himself as the New South Wales Institute of Sport basketball coach. It was Rob Beveridge. I'd never heard of him at the time. And he said, if mum or dad are willing to drive me an hour to the local, to the nearest Raymond T Terrace McDonald's, um, he wanted to meet with me and talk about basketball. And so dad knocked off work, drove me to McDonald's. And uh, literally, yeah, sitting across from a guy who looks like Ronald McDonald, he convinced me to quit <laughs> rugby league that day, gave me a scholarship to, to the New South Wales Institute of Sport. But more important than the scholarship itself was the fact that I'd, you know, I'd never really had anyone ask me about long-term goals. For me, playing in Gloucester was all about the game we had that weekend or maybe there was an upcoming state team or regional team that you know, I was trying to make you know, two or three weeks down the track. Sitting across from Bevo, he said, what are your 10-year you know, goals, 15-year goals for Boston? I'm like, oh, I don't have any. I play it because I enjoy it because my mates do it. And then you know, I just kind of saw, thought of the Barcelona Olympics that my eldest brother and I, we taped every US Dream Team game. We taped every Australian Boomers game on the old VHS and replayed them over and over and over again. And that's when I became obsessed with the idea of the Olympics, but never thought I'd be an Olympian. So it's kind of a throwaway comment more than anything to Bevo that I would, you know, I'd love to be an Olympics, an Olympian. And then he just kind of worked backwards from there. And, and he said, if you do this, do that, make some sacrifices here, so on and so forth, I believe you can do it. And, and dad and I on that whole drive home, you know, just went back and forth saying if only 50% of this comes to fruition, which he believes I can achieve, you know, it's worth pursuing. This is going to be amazing. And, and so, yeah, we called the rugby league coach, quit and pursued basketball. So Bevo has been a part of, you know, my career and my life since I've been 15. So yes, he's a head coach. Yes, he developed my game, but he's also a mentor and a friend now. And then you fast forward to when, you know, obviously we brought in Trev here six years ago. And, you know, as a fresh start, it was almost the motivation I needed because I knew I had to prove myself again because by then, you know, Bevo was like a dad and we were, you know, we had won a championship, we'd made some semifinals, but with Trev coming in, 
you know, it was hard work. It was discipline. He, you know, he wears his heart on his sleeve, but he was more that blue collar approach. But then the, as the years have progressed and he's opened up and he's shown more of who he is as a person and, and, you know, it gives you, he wants to know about you and you as a person, your family, your kids, you know, that's developed now into more than just being coach player relationship. It's much more than that. So two very, very, very good basketball coaches and two guys that I'll, you know, be friends with forever, but they came from different backgrounds and different styles. That's for sure. You talk about what, what uh, Bevo and, and Trev have meant to you. I'm sure this is a, something you've been thinking about in recent weeks. What have the Perth Wildcats as an organisation and the Red Army meant to you over the journey? Oh, look, you, you never get sick of, of running out in front of that crowd. It's, uh, it really is one of the highlights of playing basketball for the, for the Wildcats is the Red Army itself. Uh, and it kind of gave me an appreciation during the finals of what home court advantage actually is mm. because usually there's plays within a game. And to be honest, 99% of the game, I, I don't notice what's going on outside of the white lines. But there are plays within a game, whether it's a big three by Bryce or you know, Nick gets the dunk, whatever it may be. The crowd, the crowd goes nuts and you just get caught up in that moment. You want to do whatever it takes to replicate that atmosphere over and over and over again. So you dive on the loose ball, you sprint that little bit harder, you box out, you rebound. And that's what home court advantage is, is getting that player to do more than they thought they were capable of. When that was gone, I was like, how spoiled have I been? Now, like, I still get goosebumps when I run out onto the court. I still get the jitters right before tip-off. You know, I still do my corny jumps and smile right before tip-off. But, yeah, that Red Army, I'm going to miss. They, they were very special. And then when you talk about the club as a whole, it starts with Jack Bender, the board, their vision. The fact they took a risk from sellout games, you know, Corey, you know, the things you did at the jungle at Challenge Stadium, that was an incredible, incredible atmosphere. But then they thought, no, nah, we're going to move to the arena. If we only had the same 3,500 people, followers to the arena, from a monetary standpoint, it would have been horrible. We'd have lost all of that atmosphere you got to, you know, play in front of. Uh, and, it, you know, the, the, it just was a huge gamble, in my opinion. But instead, instead of it being 3,500 people at a game, now it's 13,500 people, the best atmosphere in the league. And that started with, you know, Jack and the board. And then, yeah, I, I don't think the show is long enough for me to go through every single office staff member, every coach I've had. But, you know, the assistant coaches, the support staff, they're, they're all incredible. You, you know what else you didn't get when the, the Red Army wasn't there in the grand final series? The whistle. <laughs> Settle down, <laughs> mate. You, you play against a, a triangle and two for the first time in 35 years. <laughs> I think you're playing under eights or something. And then see how you make the adjustment. I, uh, <laughs> it's hard to get fouls when only two guys are getting guarded. So. <laughs> oh, man. Um, experience. Uh, you, you've played with a lot of imports, a lot of great imports who have come and, you know, got it done. Where do you rank Bryce Cotton? Yeah, he's, he is the best. Uh, James Ennis was a very, Casey Pro, the James Ennis, like very, very special players. You know, Jimmy was here for one year, was so dominant. Um, but at the end of the day, he was six foot seven. If Bryce had that skill set, you know, at six foot three, he'd be in my opinion, a no-brainer that he's in the NBA starter. His skill set is unlike any other player I've played alongside. So, yeah, he, and, but he does it consistency, consistently. It's amazing the focus he is from other teams. It's amazing. We've got one clip against the Kings where at one stage he had four players on him. Um, but that's, you know, a player unlike any other I've played alongside, called a teammate. Super humble, but super driven. Uh, yeah, he just flat out does whatever it takes to win. He's got the skill set to boot, but just to do it time and time again, knowing he's going to have all the attention on him. 
yeah, he, he's number one in my opinion. I'm sure there's a lot of battles on the training court between you two, but from a <laughs> opposition point of view, who was the toughest? Who, who was the matchup? Might not have been someone you considered the hardest or you stopped and had success again, but when it was a matchup thing around the league in your time in the NBL, who was it? Yeah, good question. There's been a few, actually, and it's funny because someone like, you know, Casper Ware, Tremble, are you naming a Machado? There's all, mm-hmm. a lot of really good players. And the guy that I actually thought was one of the hardest to guard um, with two guys, uh, Kevlish, which is no surprise, but the one that people sometimes go, oh, really? It was Jamal Wilson uh, for Adelaide. He just was so stop and go, stop and go, could get to the ring, had, had a decent enough pull up. Um, but Kevlish, I, I think Kev, Kev with his his balance, his, the way he shoots the ball, change of direction, change of speed, yeah, he's a very, very crafty player and yeah, he was an incredible teammate, but very hard to play against. But he's he's a kid that everyone should learn from because the hardest guys to guard aren't the quickest. It's the guys that use their speed well. So change of direction, change of speed. And if you can shoot on the back of that, so you've got to guard them even closer, yeah, they can be a nightmare. And this was certainly that. What's the um, performance, maybe individual, maybe team, that you're most proud of when, when you start to look back? I mean, everyone, when reflecting today, thinks about your grand final MVP series where you completely locked down Cedric Jackson and, and influenced that series. What, what was the one where you look back and, or felt at the time and was like, yep, a job well done? <laughs> uh, the first championship's always special. It just wasn't expected, but there was no pressure on us. Like I think there's like three teams that finished the season on 15 wins or 14. We just happened to win on the last weekend, so we won minor premiership. So that was just sheer jubilation more than anything. The, the one when we won with James Ennis, uh, because we won the preseason comp, we started the season 12-1, and one, I think. It was almost a combination of, yes, I was excited we won, but it was almost relief because of how much pressure there was to actually win the championship, to go on and win it after the season the team had had. Uh, but the one that's probably the most meaningful, you know, we had one year where we had um, injuries. Uh, it was a roller coaster ride. Uh, then we brought in uh, Bryce. We had to win six games in a row mm. just to qualify for the finals. But just the, the style of play, uh, the way we we're playing at the right end of the season, there was just a confidence that we had going into that final series. And after we won the championship, the first thing um, an interviewer asked me was, can you believe you're holding up a championship trophy today when you would have woken up Christmas morning a few months ago sitting last on the ladder? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, because it was, it was tough to deal with because with that final streak, you know, the pressure was mounting. Uh, there were some injuries. So it had a little bit of everything. But that one for me is probably the most special because of the adversity we faced during the season. Obviously, it's been spoken a fair bit about, you know, real estate career and, and getting into real estate. But, you know, with the Wildcats, are you going to continue some type of role? I'm not necessarily talking as a coaching role, but are you going to be involved in the Wildcats at all going forward? Yeah, I love the club. So I'll, I'll stay involved in some capacity. Uh, yeah, there's no way I want to be head coach with a young family. No offense to Trevor, <laughs> all the other coaches out there. But I find that there's too much out of your control and they blame you if the results don't go the team's way. And I just don't want to have to pack up and move. I, I love Perth. It's home now. So coaching, I'll stay involved in into the degree of, you know, my daughter's three. My daughter, Maggie, literally introduces herself as Maggie Martin from the Perth Wildcats. Like, I'm going to miss stuff like that. But I'll, uh, I'll, I'll be her coach. And then when Bonnie's a bit older, I'll coach her. But as far as the club goes, I'm, I'm going to be a member of the Red Army, but hopefully involved in a different capacity at some stage. Just quickly, Damo, you mentioned the fact you, you know, I want to leave Perth and, and that's fair enough. But with 
I find it interesting sometimes. You're so dominant. You're the captain of a team who continues to win. You're the best defensive player in the league. Did a club ever try and ease you out of Western Australia any time in the last decade or so? Was there ever a real crack to try and get you out? I'm assuming. I'd be stunned if there wasn't. Was there? Yeah, no. Um, my agent, uh, Jeff Maguire, one thing I, I really like about Jeff is he always, his biggest biggest thing with me choosing each year or at the end of each contract was where will I be happiest? Uh, and he knew what made me happy in that, and that was trying to win championships. And so even though he's, he gets paid based on commission, never once did he actually like, push me towards chasing the, the club offering the most amount of money, uh, which was never, <laughs> never Perth. Um, so he always put me in a position where I could return to Perth. He did, you know, put my name out there at other clubs at times. The, the real, the, the only time I um, got offered something that was unique was there was a chance of the Newcastle Falcons or Newcastle making a return. And when that happened, I was like, what? Uh, obviously, it didn't. But outside of that, uh, Jeff's always known that I'm a, I'm a Gloucester boy at heart, you know, up in New Country, New South Wales. But I've, I've fallen in love with, with Perth and, and what the Wildcats could offer insofar as making me happy and helping me achieve my goals. Yeah, I'm guessing the Kings had a real crack at least once in the last decade. <laughs> I'm just just off, off the cuff. That's right. I sort of said. Liam? <laughs> what will you miss most, Damo? Uh, it's... It's a, to, uh, it's a toss-up between game day. Game day, even in this last season, when I was in a, in a, you know, a little bit sore, game day is the best day of the week. Uh, everything that goes into it. I am going to miss you know, those 40, 40 minutes under the big lights at RSC Arena in front of a packed-out crowd. But then I'll miss, on a day-to-day basis, uh, just the, the banter, the mateship. Um, like I said, when I realised I was going to be retiring at the end of this year, it was, you know a reality check of stop appreciating what you're taking for granted, start appreciating what you're taking for granted. And that was the day-to-day mateship. And I really made an effort to enjoy it this year. So the mateship and then also game days and seeing how my, my daughters respond or act at a game. I'm going to miss being able to, you know, pick them up after a game, bring them down to the court. They give all my teammates high five. Uh, my t- Maggie calls me Damo because that's what the Red Army calls me. Uh, and then she comes down and, and gives a special high five to Bryce and Norto because they're, they're her favourite players. So I'm going to miss, miss what it's had, had for me, but also the impact it's had on my family. Homicide? Anything else? I, I assume you're going to post that photo on Instagram of you and Damo going at a young Sydney spirit, Damien. <laughs> man, it's just it's been a pleasure to watch you grow and do your thing, man. Really has been. For me, after the game now, to watch and call games with you, you know, continuing to uh, win, uh, was a pleasure. So I just wish you the best, man. Good luck. No, I appreciate that. That the game means too much for me to just drift away. So I'll be I'll be listening to the guys call the game, watching the show. I'll be a big supporter of the game forever, that's for sure. But appreciate everything. Got to play against some greats uh, like yourself. Got to play against, you know, I grew up with Brad Newley. I married Brad Newley's cousin, so I'm not even the best basketball player in the family. <laughs> you know, let that sit with you. Um, you know, got to grow up along Andrew Bogart, life lessons lifelong friends uh the game means the world to me and I'm forever great for everyone involved yourselves included it's been a privilege mate congratulations on a wonderful career and not only echoing the thoughts of, of these two but also the fact is you're always so welcoming anyone in the media you know if it's a, a radio interview or tv with nbl overtime whatever it might be just a simple text and you're always there to help us at the earliest convenience which traditionally was the moment you got the text mate and that goes a long way to uh, how much we love you on and off the court so thank you for all of us no worries. thanks a lot guys 
Thanks. 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 Superstar, absolute superstar. Hashtag NBL overtime. Free agency market watch, whatever it's called. Get involved. We're going to be back.